Hello. Welcome to True Hoop with me, Gerard Hector, and Coach David Thorpe. How are you, sir? Gerard, I am well. Uh, I have a confession to make. Mm, yeah, what's that? So last night they had the Oscars. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. I didn't watch one second of it. <laughs> I'm like, I'm upset if someone else said I just didn't. I watched the first uh, 30 for 30 on the uh, American Women's Dream Team. Mm-hmm, yeah. I haven't seen it yet. It's fantastic so far. I think it's a three-episode series. Um, but I did see the movie. Well, I saw part of the movie that won the Oscar for Best Picture. Oh, uh, Everything Everywhere at Once? <laughs> yeah. I would not have named it that. <laughs> Nothing, nowhere. No one should see this movie. My wife and I are decent people. We're not the smartest people in the world. We're not the dumbest. 45 minutes in, I looked at her. We were sitting on the same couch. And I'm like, do you give a fuck what happened in this movie? She's like, no. I gave it every shot. We were so excited. I loved, I recognized Short Round right away. I had no idea. I'm like, honey, that's the guy that played Short Round in uh, in the Temple of Doom movie. I had no clue anything about this movie. And she's like, oh, my God, I think you're right. I said, oh, I'm definitely sure that's him. And it, I'm sure it is. It was fucking terrible. I don't know what people are. What I think everyone's got themselves convinced it's some kind of great movie. It's Did you see it? I did not see it. Avoid um, it. Don't watch it unless you're angry with your girl. Um, the, the actor, of course, David's referencing is uh, Kei Kwan, who He's was, fantastic. Of course, was in, in the Indiana Jones series, for those of you old enough to remember that. He was also Data in the Goonies, for those of you that remember the. Oh, that, I forgot that about that. As well. That's um, right. Yeah. So, no, I, I have not, you know, pandemic do given, I have not gone and seen many of many like new releases in the past few years. Um, but it's on cable. It's on uh, whatever we like want. Never streaming HBO Max. I'm or sure whatever. we didn't pay for it. There's no way to pay for it. Okay. It was, I just, <laughs> Jay, I mean, the acting was great. <laughs> the story was so fucking crazy. Right. Right. Maybe I'm just too stupid. It's, it's, it's certainly possible. <laughs> You'll see what I mean. If you, if you make the mistake of seeing this movie, it's well, just really hard to follow. It seems crazy. And I don't give a fuck what happened to any of the characters and was happy to turn it off. Given that warm review, I don't know that I'm going to spend any time. <laughs> and, <laughs> I, I'm not a, I'm not at war with Hollywood elites for sure, but I think sometimes they try to get us all thinking that they're somehow these highbrow fuckers. Give me, I mean, meanwhile, Top Gun Maverick, which I haven't seen, I'm sure it wasn't hard to watch. Like movies aren't supposed to be hard to watch, right? Right. Christopher right. Hitchens is hard to read because yeah. he's smarter than us. He was right. smarter than us. Right. I enjoy that very much. I don't want to be walking through smelly mud. When I'm seeing a fucking movie. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. And there is your Oscars breakdown right. from Coach David. Right. Mo- moving on. <laughs> moving on. Oh, man. Well, you know, I won't be watching many of these things because I want to. We got basketball. We got 15 games so up much. in the season. Yeah. We got playing yeah. and playoffs. So I wanted to start here, David. Mikel Bridges, um, since he's played for the Nets on the last 13 games, that's how long his, the many games he's played in Brooklyn, he has emerged as a 1A scoring option. He, at least he is on the Nets. Um, he's averaging 25.7 points per game on 50, 47, 89 shooting splits. Now I know 13 games, not a huge sample size, but it's not small either and insignificant, right? He clearly is their number one option. Um, and I was thinking about it on a couple different, uh, levels. Let's look at it first here. When you move, we, we always talk about, right, the jump from all-star to all-NBA. That's the hardest one, right? I the think superstar. so. I think it's the hardest but, jump. Yeah. But the second one is probably from being an above-average starter to being an all-star, right? Yeah. That's probably the second hardest jump to make. Yeah. So that, I would assume, is the where we find Mikel Bridges right now. He's not quite an all-star yet, but this is the cusp he's in, right? Clearly an above-average starter. Can he now be an all-star? So as we look forward 
to the postseason where you we always say, well, it's different now, right? Teams have time to scout. They know what you like to do. Ain't going to be no Detroit's and San Antonio's your plan. Everybody's good. How do you think as a coach this will translate for Mikhail in the playoffs? Well, I mean, I think it's going to be fine. He He's getting primary ball handling responsibilities. He never had that in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. The, the question begins with, well, why didn't Phoenix use him? The answer might have been between Paul and Booker, we had enough. I would push back on that and say, well, get him out earlier, play him in second rotation as a lead scorer. And uh, that would have been one effective way of utilizing him. Uh, I think he he is hard to guard with his length, mm-hmm. his shooting ability, his decision-making is good, and, and will only get better. I mean, this is just all new for him. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we wrote this immediately on the trade. This is not going to be a fun team to play in the playoffs. Right, correct. Last night is an example. Uh, we'll get to Denver and their panicky coach. But um, <laughs> the Nets have one big they play. They played Noel maybe nine minutes or something. The game before that, they didn't play him at all. They strictly played one center and then guards everywhere. Finney Smith was their center, basically. And some coaches are afraid of that and won't play their second unit big uh, for different reasons. And that's what the Nets are hoping for. Mm-hmm. The Nets mm-hmm. are hoping for that because yeah. then they can get away with being small and they're yeah. small. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're going to be with all those wing defenders mm-hmm. with Mikhail coming. We know Spencer can score. He's done the postseason before. Um, I'm a big Cam Johnson fan. Yep. I think that, I think Mikhail's got to get, he's got to get ready to be guarded better. Mm-hmm. He's Cause uh, he will be in the playoffs, right? For, for sure. sure. He's going to have to, depending on who they play, mm-hmm. even if it's a weaker defensive team in the first round, which it shouldn't be. The, those those Eastern teams at the top, they they're going to be defense. a bottom four seed. Mm-hmm. So they're going to play a, a Boston, Philly, Milwaukee defense. Cleveland. Or Cleveland. Yeah, that's what I meant. They're all four. None of them are easy compared to some of the teams you already mentioned that he can get fatter on. Uh, but even if they were not as playing well, playing well defensively, they'll be more prepared for him. And so he's got to do the same thing. How do I get my, how do I best get to my shots most often? How do I get back to the free throw line more? How do I, uh, in transition, do I trail plays more? Mm -hmm. Do I get out on the break more? These are things you have to be mindful of uh, because it's another thing to to do in the playoffs like you did in the regular season. Um, But I have no reason to think he won't be able to do it. I just think it's more of he didn't get a chance to do it before, and that was a mistake on the coaches there. Yeah, and so uh, also just to point this out, like, Phoenix was dealing with a lot of injuries this year, right, with Paul and Booker. So we saw flashes of this early in the season yeah. from Mikel because they had no other choice. There's only him and Aiton out there, so somebody's got to generate the offense. And we started to see a little bit of that. As it stands right now, David, it would be in the 4-5 matchup, Cleveland at 4 versus Brooklyn at 5. So that would be interesting because we talk about Cleveland and their wing issues. Well, they do have a Coro who can guard, right? Maybe not great offensively. So that would be interesting to see what that matchup uh, potentially could look like. Yeah, because if that is the matchup, they they, uh, they don't guard a Coro, well, then how do you play a Coro? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so now you have to play someone else who isn't going to be good defensively. Defense. Yeah, mm-hmm. and now they got to guard Bridges. So, because mm-hmm. uh, that's what, you know, if you can't stop him, it's going to be mm-hmm. tough to stop them. Um, it, 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 to me, it comes back to this is a separate issue, but, but connected. It's connected. Uh, ben Simmons. Oh, I mean, yeah. like just, I mean. just. The, the four years ago, Ben, through, they're all NBA version of Ben Simmons, which mm-hmm. even, even I, I don't know if it's back as an issue. I don't know if it's enough of an issue. I know he's got other issues too. Um, that dude on this team 
and they're they're lights out. They're just oh, yeah. really, really because now you have a guy that can guard most any center. Mm-hmm. You can switch almost everything also. And you got shooting around them. You got shooting around them and and mm-hmm. uh great culture. Yeah, mm-hmm. they really I, I wish I wish things were different, but yeah. it's good news for Bridges. And there's a lesson here, a bigger lesson, which I know oh, why you want to bring up. For sure. And Who so, else can do this? Well, Who else is not being utilized? Th- that's the other part of this, and this is to the heart of what you do, which is player development, right? Yeah. How many other players in the league, because of the circumstance they're in and or the coaching staff, they don't, that's not, they don't think about development or what have you, could be averaging 20-plus points per game and be a primary ball handler, but they're on a situation where that ain't going to happen, so who knows, right? So how do teams smart teams anyway uncover man we got a roster full of dudes that can that can do this let's give them an opportunity but most teams just you know for a variety of reasons don't do that yeah i'll I'll just i can i can kind of sum it up this way uh my first draft pick kevin martin went to sacramento they had doug christie already and then and then drafted francisco Garcia the next year but kevin found his way into the starting lineup his second season when he was 22 21 22 that year and no 22 23 and um, uh, he was basically just standing in the corner shooting threes, mostly. And I don't remember because it was so long ago. This was 2006. That summer, I don't remember if Rick Adelman said to me or if Jeff Petrie, the former GM, said to me or if it was just someone else associated with the Kings. I just don't remember anymore. But someone made a comment to me, basically, Rick sees him as a, a very important corner shooter. That was all they saw. And back then, he was a good defensive player. He, later on, he wasn't so good. But he was mostly a very winning player in his career. And it was amazing for me to hear that because I was like, fuck that. Corner shooter. This guy is a free throw magnet. And so we trained relentlessly on building up everything so that when you get your chance, you can show you can do more than just shoot threes, basically, and stand on the corner for their offense. And he averaged over 26 different seasons and made over you know, $85, $90 million, whatever it was. Um, back then that was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is how college, uh, this is how NBA coaches, uh, college coaches are too. This is how they are is they brand you. I say it all the time. I wrote this to ESPN a long time ago. Um, think of a chessboard. They see you as a pawn or as a rook mm-hmm. or as a knight, right? And you, 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 uh, that's who you are. And it's really hard to get them to change their tune. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton would have been a nice complimentary guard at De'Aaron Fox mm-hmm. and maybe never letting De'Aaron get to his level. Tyree certainly wouldn't reach the ceiling right. he reached this year and beyond. He's an all NBA prospect going forward. So sometimes because of a lack of creativity from the coaches and management being unable to get those coaches to say, this guy's better than what you're, you got to come up with something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you have to get them out as an agent. You have to get them out. Or as a team, you may realize the GM, I get more value from him by trading him. Uh, in, in the end, is, I mean, in uh, Sacramento's case, in both cases, it works. Sabonis, Sabonis being better in Sacramento, Tyrese better in, in Indiana. So, but I just always wonder what else can this guy do that's playing 12 minutes a game, scoring four points, if he was somewhere else or playing in a different system. Do you think that a lot of these coaches' inability to do this is rooted in fear? Fear yes. of losing their jobs? Yes. I think f- fear, it's, it's, it's a couple of things. Fear, for sure, of failing. And therefore, I could lose my job. And uh, evolution has has robbed most coaches of the creative or innovative instinct that maybe they once had. The way the way we hire isn't great, where the innovative guys tend not to move up the ladder. The more loyal servants 
I tend to do better. Not always. It's different everywhere. I don't like the way our system works in the NBA at all. There are exceptions. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think it used to be we lived at coaching clinics trying to find other ways. To, I mean, I went to Dean Smith coaching clinic, you know, and I was 24 and, and I saw PJ Carlissimo, Rick Majerus. There really is no one I didn't see. I saw everyone. Rick Pitino. I, I saw Pitino speak, not even a clinic. I went to a lecture he gave one time, just trying to learn whatever I could. And we stayed up all night X and Oing. Maybe, maybe they're doing that. I'm not invited. I'm also an old man. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't think that is where it once was in our profession. And it's too bad. It's too bad because uh, what, what Jock's doing right now with Mikhail has got to be having Phoenix thinking, what the fuck were we doing? Because we had him here and we didn't ever see this or didn't give him a chance to really do it. Mm-hmm. No, it's it, it's an interesting thing to see, and it'll be very interesting to see how this develops, right? And you're so you're so right about branding, right? There's a term in psychology called the anchor effect, right? Which I'm sure you're familiar with. It is no, I'm not. Tell me. So it's this idea of the first impression that you have of something is what sticks in your mind, and the easy way to understand it is sort of like college football and college basketball polls, right? So in NCAA, for instance, basketball, Carolina was a preseason one, right? Well, maybe they shouldn't have been the preseason one. But throughout the rest of the year, that is how every voter and everyone thinks about them as, well, you were this one seed, you're clearly underachieving, when maybe they should have been ranked 12th or 15th, right? Just this idea that our first initial perception of something, that then creates a bias about that thing. And we always view it through that lens versus an evolving lens of, well, maybe they weren't that or maybe things change, right? And so that's this idea of branding, right? When someone sees you as a corner shooter, it's going to be really difficult for you to break yeah. out of that because that's just what everybody said. And it's, it happens around the league, right? When one coach labels, and this, you know, look, I'm not saying coaches are always wrong, but when they label this guy's a problem guy, I mean, how does that label stick for most people, right? And they, they're never able to get their way out of that situation. And, you know, I, I think it's something very, you know, as you always mentioned, this is, we want this league to be as best as it possibly can. And in order to do that, we need to be less rigid in how we think about things, right? And more open to the possibility that maybe I got this wrong. Maybe this is different, right? But, you know, that's not really how things work. And when you think about it as it relates to the MVP discussion, you know, 20 games into the season, people make definitive claims. Well, back then it was Tatum. 20 games in was Tatum. (laughs) And 15 games left, it's already this. And your point is like, guys... It evolves, right? Like Denver is losing games right now. Jokic is still playing very well, but they're losing. Embiid playing like a monster, and they're winning. We we both said it. If that happens and changes, let's say Philly gets up to two, and they could possibly get to one, and Embiid keeps playing like a monster, why wouldn't he be your MVP? That makes sense to me. Right. So I think what we've contended is, given the nature of the award, which isn't a a metric-only based award, there is subjectivity to it. Uh, the voters of which you and I are not, uh, you don't have a vote, no, do you? I'm I don't have a vote. Um, they, I, I'm never going to have a vote. Uh, they're, they're not just not going to give it to a guy for his third one if they don't have to. So the question was whether or not do they have to because he's so much better than everyone. Right now, he still is. The gap just needs to close. Mm-hmm. There's lots of time for that. Mm-hmm. There's a month of the season left. Mm-hmm. And so I think that if MB makes it close, he's going to win. Mm-hmm. I think if he's being crushed, metrically speaking, statistically speaking, and Denver wins the West, mm-hmm. um, even though the West is much worse than the East, mm-hmm. uh, then I think Jokic would win. 
But if, if it's close, I think Embiid's going to get it. Unless Giannis makes a huge run. Because mm-hmm. he he's deserving of mention. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we, we uh, you know, we get into this, the, the whole Kendrick Perkins stupid debate thing. <laughs> and that kind of distracted us from the reality of we got a, we got a sizable portion of the season left. Yep. You know, when, when uh, the, the first month ended mid-November, that was a good amount of time. Mm-hmm. Well, we have a, that same amount of time left. Let's just see how it plays out. And uh, uh, if Jokic ends up cruising some, not that he's cruising now, right. I looked it up, you know, since the new year, Philly has won one more game than Denver. Mm-hmm. That means something to me. For sure, yeah. Let's see what happens going forward mm-hmm. this next month and, or this month, you know, next almost four weeks. Um, but yeah, the branding thing to me is a nightmare. It's, it's something I deal with all the time. Uh, uh, you have to be careful. I was talking to some pre-draft trainers during the offseason, last offseason. And they were, I was saying, hey, how does this guy play? How does this guy play? And uh, the, the names of the players they gave me for their draft pick were like journeyman players. Mm-hmm. And I said, you can't say those names publicly if you want to help your player get drafted right. higher. Right. You have to pick a meaningful player. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's got to be accurate. The, the, let's be very fair about that. I'll give you one example. I don't typically talk about these kind of players, but I'll, I'll give you this one. Uh, I had studied, uh, I mentored the trainer. He's a, he's a coach with the Celtics now for the main Celtics for um, Andrew Nemhart. Mm-hmm. And uh, the name is Ross McMahon. He's an unbelievable coach. He's going to be a great NBA coach one day, I think. He's from New Zealand. And I asked him what he thought of Andrew. I had never seen Andrew play in person before. And he, I don't remember the name he gave me, but it was a journeyman guard a decent player. Mm-hmm. I said, you can't do that. He's like, what do you mean? I said, because if teams hear that, he definitely won't get drafted. He's Tyus Jones to me. He's like, two Tyus Jones. That's a good name. I said, no, that's a great name compared to your name <laughs> because Tyus Jones right now is the best backup point guard in the league. He's not mm-hmm. a starter. Mm-hmm. He probably could be for 10 teams, mm-hmm. but he's going to get paid 15, 16, 18 million or something. I, I don't remember what he got, but it was something along those lines, but it was coming. This was last summer. This is last April, May. But we know who he is, mm-hmm. and the Grizzlies are a sexy team, mm-hmm. and he and now he's winning games with yeah. Ja on the bench. Like, mm-hmm. like that's his that's Nemhart's floor. Mm-hmm. Solid. I don't know if he's a starter or not. This was a year ago. I never saw the kid play in person before, but I said I think he's more Ty Jones than any of these other names, and it's a better name. And so that's exactly the agent and and Ross. When teams would call, they would always reference floor is probably Ty Jones. And so I talked to Andrew's father this year, and he told me that when Andrew went in for his interviews and team said, uh, uh, we think you play like Tyus Jones, what do you think? The dad said, like, I understand why they said that. That was <laughs> that, our job. Yeah. I, didn't, I had no responsibility for any of it. They did. I talked right. to his agents and I talked to his trainer. Like, that shit matters so much in the draft. <laughs> and uh, I could tell you 50 stories like that. I won't. It's just super important. Yeah. And it should not be, by the way. Right. It right. should not be. Decision makers shouldn't right. be, be moved by that, but they are. And uh, we've got to be smarter at, at looking at qualities of a player and projecting that player. And it's the same thing with what we're talking about here. So Bridges was, a, was an elite defender. He's fallen off a little bit mm-hmm. in Phoenix. He yep. did. Mm-hmm. But that length, well, guys can get better at basketball. <laughs> yes. Just because he couldn't really dribble great then doesn't mean he can't ever do that. 
that's what the offseason is for. But I'm telling you, I once I won't say his name because he's still a head coach now, but he was an assistant coach for a player that I was helping. This has been the early 2000s, okay? Draft pick. And I had the player doing all sorts of things on his own in their practices. And the, head, the assistant coach walked by him and said, uh, hey, what are you working all that stuff for? And the, and the player, who I was told, don't ever mention my name, mm-hmm. said, um, no, I'm just trying to you know, work on whatever I got. I can't, I can't just be a rebounder. He's like, all you got to do is rebound and make free throws, and you'll make money in this league. And he lasted three more years and then never to see in the NBA again because he never developed anything else. That's a f- and this guy was a stud. That's a failure, not just from the player, but from Coaching. the team. Mm-hmm. They just don't see it. And they need to learn to see it. I mean, you, you just clearly define the anchor effect, right? If, if Andrew said, said the journeyman person's name, that would have been what they said, and he wouldn't have gotten drafted, right? Yeah. But instead, you said, no, no, use Tyus Jones. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the reference point in their heads. Or, okay, that make, yeah, that right. works for me. No, yeah. it, it's this stuff. Is it should really, but it does. It should not matter. Yeah. I mean, got, you got, I mean, I know you watched on the film. This is what you guys get paid to do. Don't right. watch the film. If you, these guys have played two, three years of college, you should have all the information and they come in to work out for you. You should have all the info you need to decide if, if they're going to fit whatever it is you want to do. Well, I want to, I'll finish with this. I'm leading into another seg- segment that you may want to wait till later. So that's fine if you want to. But um, my dear, dear friend for many years, Chad Ford, who's now retired from his blog, was the draft guru for the NBA drafts, as you know. And that's how I met him. Was we, we, he got me to ESPN, actually. Chad did. Um, and I said to him one time, I said, do you understand your value in the draft process? And he said, yeah, I really inform the fans. I said, no. You give team permission to draft players. He's a very smart guy. He's much smarter than me. Lawyer, brilliant writer, right? Chad, I'm just super a coach. Smart. <laughs> very bright dude. Amazing guy. I said, Chad, I'm telling you, you give teams permission to draft a player when you rank those players at some level. If you rank a guy at 50, you're not giving permission to take him at 30. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It rarely happens. But when you rank a guy at 28 and he's still there at 40, even though the team doesn't love him, he was drafted at 28. Maybe other people are right, or they feel like we ca- we got to draft this guy. We're going to be seen as he- getting an A. He was a late first round pick. We're getting a middle second round. Like you, they have to get a good rating from you. And I told John Gavoni when he was a nobody at Draft Central, and then he became Draft Express. Same thing. Mm-hmm. When you when you are respected in that world, you give teams permission to draft that player, and that's why agents work these guys so much now. And so the. the draft specialist that I mentor as a friend and helping them understand what they're seeing, I tell them the same thing. At the end of the day, your credibility is what matters most. Yeah. No. You learn how to rate these guys and rate these guys, project these guys. And just because you're accurate on draft night doesn't mean anything if all these guys end up sucking. You got to be smart about that. And then your, your, your talent at that will last a long time. No, I mean, 100%. I mean, and this is, again, we're talking about branding and who gets labeled what so we'll go here everyone is it's pretty much a consensus that victor Wembanyama is the number one pick in the coming draft right sure. i mean if you have the number one pick and you don't draft like this is what henry always talks about you're gonna yeah. get killed in the press conference yeah. you will get murdered in yeah. by media if you do not do that it's and you're, and you're going to draft him he, he is that right. obviously the number one pick yeah but at number two you believe it's far more open people are saying oh it's got to be scoot henderson and why? That goes back to the anchor effect because he played really well against Victor one time. Right. May, that may not be him. You think somebody else should be number two. 
I, well, I think I have not studied it closely enough to say Brandon Miller should be number two. I am telling you, Gerard, you can mark it down. Like by the time we get to June, he's going to be in the running for number two for sure. Like I have zero doubt about that. Six foot nine, forty percent three point shooter, best college player maybe as a twenty year old. He's a twenty year old um, on the best team. Mm-hmm. Right? They're the best team, the number one seed overall. Uh, you're going to start hearing people talking about it very soon, especially if they went out, which they may not do. Mm-hmm. Now, the issue with the gun, mm-hmm. notwithstanding, we'll see. By the time we get to June, that's a long time from now. Right. Um, he's, he's, he, why would Detroit draft Scoot? <laughs> they have Jay Knighty and Kevin Cunningham. Right. Orlando might take him, but they also have, because they have Paolo, mm-hmm. but they also have Jalen Suggs and Markel Fultz. Mm-hmm. Cole Anthony doesn't matter as much. Like, I'm just saying it won't be a foregone conclusion that you have to take a guard who played a a year in the G League. Now, don't get me wrong. The G League would destroy any college team by a million points. He's a talented player. I like Scoot very, very much. But I just don't think it's cut and dried. I think it's going to be more based on the team that's drafting and what they need and not automatically Scoot. Whereas in Victor, it doesn't matter who you have. Right. In Philadelphia, somehow got the number one pick. 100% taking Victor. Right. It, It doesn't matter who you are. He's clearly the talent of this draft. That's not the case at number two, I think. Well, in that hypothetical world where Philly, for whatever reason, got that, this would help my my fantasy of the French national team of having MB, oh, yeah. Wembenyama, and Rudy playing two minutes on the front line. <laughs> and then they got to go get Patum. <laughs> and they get home. Well, that was 6'10? Yeah, that yeah. was great. <laughs> no. And then uh, Frank and the kid. Ke- the there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah. one six foot, like, two, three guy. Fine, whatever. We don't right. care. Bring Tony Parker out of retirement, too. <laughs> all French. All, all French all the time. <laughs> No, I love it. I love it. No, this is this is a very very great stuff. I'm, I'm very curious to see how this all plays out. Um, and yeah, look, he's as you said, he's six foot nine. He can shoot. The rim is still ten feet above the ground. Being tall matters in this game. Yeah, being just tall some, and good, really right? Good. Any, and and winning. He's a winning player. Anyone that's listening to this, because I won't pay much attention. I'm I'm on Twitter less and less every day now. So very hard. Uh, I don't enjoy it anymore. Um, the first person to to posit the idea that he's going to go number two, let us know. Mm-hmm. Because I'm telling you, it's March 12th, 13th today? 13th, yep. Like he's, and maybe he's already done it, by the way. It's certainly possible. I just haven't paid attention. I think it's it's absolutely possible that Brandon Miller goes number two. No, I'm with you. Um, I want to kind of stay talking about coaching and coach speak because, of course, this is this is your, your wheelhouse. Um, we had a tactics episode um, about a week or so ago, and – you talked about an interesting topic about, you know, this idea of letting the game dictate things. And I thought about it in relation to the Phoenix Suns. They had a game against the Kings over the weekend. They lost 128-119. And DeAndre Ayton was very good uh, for the first three quarters in the game, but didn't get a bunch of touches, a lot of touches in the fourth quarter. And after that game, the Suns head coach, Monty Williams, was asked if he should have gotten the ball to Ayton more. And this is what he said. Maybe. I'll look at the film and see. But we don't play that way. We just let the game dictate. We're not going to sit here and say, we got to go here or there. We've never done that. And he went on to say some other things. You know, um, there was ball movement. They forced the ball where they wanted to go, and we didn't knock down shots. Um, It hurts DA if we don't knock down shots. And I remember you saying in that tactics episode, and players say this all the time, David, like in their post game, and you hear it, right? This idea of the flow of the game and letting the game dictate. And there's there's nothing to that, but to your point, if you are letting the defense dictate, well, they're dictating to you what they want you to do. And you as a coach, right? That's not what you should want. It's for the other team telling you, yeah, this is how we want you to score the basketball. 
Yeah, you know, it's it's weird to me. Um, boxing, they call it the sweet science. Mm-hmm. And if I could take a strategy that prevented you from even trying your best punches, but I let you throw other punches you're not so good at, well, why, why would any boxer agree to that? <laughs> I'm trying to dictate to you also. And so the whole concept of like good to great would be uh, you're giving us a good shot, but then we're going to find ways to get back to getting a great shot, which is what we want. And so you can do that tactically. You can also do that uh, with just, I have a better player than anyone you have. Mm-hmm. And that's going to force you to make some decisions. And now, I mean, there's a reason why James Harden and Luka Doncic don't average 28 assists a game and seven points. Because they're not just going to take what you're giving them. Right. No, they're going to take what they want. Mm-hmm. And you can't do a damn thing about it. And when you overcommit, well, now I can make my easy passes. And they mm-hmm. do have a lot of assists because of it. I think it's a scary mindset to get into a passive point of view of, well, this is the easy stuff. It's easier for a reason. Mm-hmm. right? We always say you're open for a reason, typically. <laughs> right? doesn't mean you can't shoot. It means someone else can shoot better, probably, or is more of a threat. So there's a yin and yang part of that. We can't just take what you give us or we're going to fail. And we can't just take what we want because you're bringing the defense in. That's why, that's why basketball is jazz, not just offense. On defense. Defense is jazz too because we have to maneuver based on what's happening in real time. We have to improv in a way. And it's really important. In fact, I've, we have this friend, Steve Shembaum, mm-hmm. uh, who's this brilliant um, game theory uh, 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 specialist where – he uses improv games to teach communication skills and other skills like U.S. Army is using it. All these, every major team uses them and major corporations. It's, it's, he built a big business. And I told him not too long ago, you're, you're really actually helping basketball players think the game better because our guys have to think quickly. We have to process quickly. The, those that can't are up against it. And I've trained players like that mm-hmm. um, that just can't process quickly. That really lowers their ceiling. Defense is so much about making that read where I think the ball is going to go. Um, this is the chess match, and, and the 10 players are playing it, and the coaches should be playing it too. And David, that, to your point, the, 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 that passive mindset about letting the game dictate, well, if you take that into a playoff series, that's how you get beat real quick, right? Like, you've got to be malleable, which is why you always love Ty Lue, right? Hey, man, I'm pragmatic. Is this going to work, right? Let's do this thing right now, right? Whatever is going to get us to the ultimate goal, which is winning the game, I'm not going to be so dogged in my, this is what we do. We let the game come to us. No, no, no. I'm doing whatever's getting me the W at the end of the day. Yeah, I've told you before um, that uh, pride's a killer. You know, as a coach, pride's a killer. And I, I am not telling – I had pride as a young coach for sure. My high school coach was a Bobby Knight disciple. So all we played was half court, rugged, basically Gene Hackman, just meaner <laughs> from Hoosiers. That yeah. was my high school experience. And um, I, I had a lot of pride in teaching man. We never played zone. Thankfully, I grew up and, and flushed pride. And I, and I told the story before. It's worth telling again very quickly. My son's team was in some AAU championship, you know, some tournament. Nothing, not national championship. Playing a team that always beat us. They had a, they had a player two years older than our guys. And I didn't care. To me, it was great to play against better players. Um, and, uh, the, the, one of the volunteers is with me, he was a hall of fame coach from high school, hall of fame, like winningest coach in my area's history, like 900 wins between boys and girls, eight final fours. 
And he, we were just assistants, but we were this, the brains of the operation, really. Our head coach was a dad who had coached high school some. Great guy. And he knew what he had in, in Tom and I. And I could not make it to the final day. I couldn't make it to the semifinal game or the final game. I normally would pick a couple games here. I just didn't go. I wanted my son not to always look over his shoulder and see what dad's thinking. Go be a kid. And I, I may have something that day. I may have done my, some my daughter or whatever. And before the, we win the semifinal game, they call me. And, and we're playing a team called the Lakeland Five that always kicked our ass because of this kid that was two years mm-hmm. older than all of our guys. Um, and we just couldn't solve them. And Tom, who was a genius coach, and our head coach, who was a great guy, who knew the game pretty well, Rodney, they called me and said, oh, we got we to gotta plan it for the fire. I'm like, ooh, what is it? They told me the plan. I'm like, yeah, sounds good. Probably won't work. And they, they agreed. But give it a try. We can't beat them any other way. Mm-hmm. They called me after the game. And we had been competitive with this team. We just couldn't win. And I could hear Tom's voice, and he's like, oh, we got murdered. And I, he's like, it's all your fault. And I laughed. I'm like, yeah, yeah. He's like, no, it's your fault. I'm like, Tom, how is it my fault? I wasn't even there. I didn't come up with a plan or anything. He said, David, you have no pride. He said, three positions in, you would have said, guys, this sucks. Right, do Get that. out. Right. We can go back to it, but it's not working. And he's like, but you weren't there. And me and Rodney are like, no, it's going to work. We had so convinced ourselves it'd be great. <laughs> we're down 20. Game's over. Like, right. you can't come back from those games when they're kids. The games are short anyway. And I, I took that as a huge compliment. I, 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 supposedly, I'm this genius coach. I have just the – I don't think of myself a genius at all. <laughs> I am – this idea sucks. Let's find something else. Oh, this idea sucks. Let's find something else. I am not married to anything if we're trying to win. If we're trying to develop, that's different. That's why I don't have a team problem with teams tanking. Mm-hmm. If they're developing, like, okay, see whatever you did, boys, you're doing a good job. Right. Because you taught those young men how to play while you were losing. Mm-hmm. And we see what's, and now next year, mm-hmm. get Ooh, ready. Boy. They're contending starting next year. Yeah. Because they're, they're in position to grab some players mm-hmm. to put themselves at least in maybe Final Four in the West. If you want to lose games while learning, I'm all in for some of these teams. But for a guy like Ty Lu, he has no pride. He, I think you look it up. I think he normally has the team with the most different starting lineups. Mm-hmm. Now, part of it's because of injuries. I get that. But that dude will change up on the fly, and I love that in the postseason. Yeah, no, it's, it's critical. And we'll see now in this wide-open title race that we have. I mean, yes, we think Boston and Milwaukee and Philly are clearly yeah. at a level above I everybody so. else. Yeah. But, you know, listen, we always say somebody's a sprained ankle away, right? Like, who the hell knows? One of those teams get knocked off, anything can happen. And again, the team that's most able to figure things out on the fly is likely going to, to win the championship. And, and just conversely, the opposite is also true. Yes. The coaches that panic. Mm-hmm. The co- so, so the pivot, I don't mind the pivot. But the panic is what bothers me. When yeah. they panic and try crazy shit or because something they know has always worked well has just failed a couple of times. Oh, my God, we got to get out of it. That's a killer. <laughs> be, be under control. And but if you're afraid to pivot, you're you're doomed also. Well, we're going to talk about panicking in one second. But first, a quick commercial break. This episode of True Hoop is brought to you by BetterHelp. Hey, guys, Gerard from True Hoop here. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do? It's a hell of a question. Would you maybe go for a run, take a nap, read a book, or maybe show up for a friend? Now, depending on the day, any one of those would be a great idea. Most of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. 
Now, I've been open in the past with you guys about this. I see a personal therapist as well as a couple therapist for my partner and I, and both are extremely helpful in developing positive coping skills and learning how to set boundaries. Therapy empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com TrueHoop today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash TrueHoop. All right, David. Um, we talked about panicking and coaches, and you see some panic in the West-leading Denver Nuggets. They've been a little wobbly of late. Yeah, they lost three straight. Uh, some of them, you know, they could have won two of them probably, but I listened to a, a broadcaster there. I don't remember which game it was, but maybe it was their second of the three losses. But it might have been the first loss. It was definitely one of the three losses. And uh, their announcers are fine. They're nice guys. Scott mm-hmm. Hastings is a good guy. I, I liked him as a player or whatever. And the second unit must have missed three or four shots in a row. Get him out! <laughs> no, what nope. he said was, I mean, I'm giving you basically a quote. This is what happens with the second unit. They go through stretches where they miss three or four shots in a row. And I wanted to throw my shoe at the TV. Everyone, starters miss three or four shots of in a course. row. Like what? <laughs> but, but what's happening there is they've been murdered for so long when Jokic is out that they feel, oh, my God. And then sure enough, here comes Jokic. He's, the sa- he's always the savior, always the savior. And after the first round of the postseason, when it's every other night you're playing, um, I think it's a mistake to just always panic. Figure out a way to win with your second unit. They have plenty of talent. Uh, uh, yesterday, Mike Malone d- did, didn't did play Thomas Bryant as a backup center, which I thought was weird because New Orleans World did play for Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. But he did play Christian Brown, mm-hmm. the, which I thought was great because he played well. He had not been playing very much. I don't mind that. Right. Uh, uh, he, did, he went really small, which I thought was kind of weird. The team... The team plays differently when Jokic isn't in the game. For it's sure. almost like the guards feel like, woohoo! I don't got to <laughs> throw the ball to the big white dude every time. I can go make a play for myself now. Not that they don't like passing to Jokic because they right. tend to get it back. Thomas Bryant is no Jokic, although he's a good passer. He's no Jokic. Um, it's weird. They don't have an identity in the second unit. That's probably the reason why they fail so much. Mm-hmm. That's on coaching. But I just see panic all the time, and that's not going to play well for them. If they don't have a steadier, I think the culture there is very good. And he deserves great credit for that. Mike Malone does. Um, but they've got to be able to manage some storms if you want to win the West. Well, this is what the regular season should be for, right? You should be using it as a lab to figure out in those non-Jokic minutes, what is our identity? Maybe yeah. we play differently. I mean, not maybe. We do because we don't have Nikola Jokic on the floor. Sure. What is that style that we play when it's not him? You know, when they had Highland, you know, okay, it's the Bolton's Highland show, right? Everything kind of runs off his dribble penetration, whatever. Figure something out. Like, I, this seems to be what you do, right? If you're, if you're a coach. I, I, I had a, a Nuggets, um, uh, a high-level Nuggets uh, media guy reach out to me yesterday. He texted me. We've talked before, but he texted me saying, basically, what do you see in Denver? And um, I told him, listen to the show. But um, I, I told him, if you watched – Thomas Bryant for the Lakers. I mean, he, he murdered you guys. That's why you guys traded for him. Right, right. He can really score and pick and roll. He also can beat up switches. But you got to throw it to him. You, you guys don't like to doing that. Uh, why can't you play Jamal Murray with the second unit some? I, I, I tell every reporter 
or everyone that covers high-level teams who are asking me, what, what do you think we should do? I remind them of what Quinn Snyder did when the Utah Jazz, for a two-year stretch, was probably the best team in the league. Uh, they took Rudy Gobert out early, and they put in Derek Favors to hold the fort down with, with their other good starters. Their second unit was Ingles, Conley, Clarkson, Niang, Gobert. So two starters, Gobert and Conley, with Clarkson, Niang, and Ingles. Ingles was a part-time starter, depending on Badanovich or Rose O'Neal being mm-hmm. healthy. And they destroyed. They were the best second unit in the league. One of the best overall rotations in the league. In the postseason on our show, I, I, I really hammered Quinn because he got away from that amazing second unit. I happen to like second units that can play well, that play a little differently. Ingles is a great playmaker, was on that team. Uh, you can stagger your group. You don't have to play five or even four. You can play three mm-hmm. subs, especially in the postseason. Mm-hmm. But start doing that now. Yeah. And let those two starters get comfortable with those three reserves and figure out your best actions for that. You still got 15 games left to do that or so. Yeah. No, it's, it's it, again, these 15 games that we have here. I mean, really, as I said, it should be all regular season long, but for a variety of reasons, teams don't do it. The smart teams are really using this as like, yeah, we know we got to lock up our seating, but let's figure out, because what you're really asked, saying is, who are our eight or nine guys, right? Yeah, you got to have eight or nine. Who, I think. Who, who are they? Most people know who their five are. Most people don't know who six, seven, eight, and nine are, right? Well, this is the time. Figure out who six, seven, eight, and, and, and nine how are. to play with that group. Mm-hmm. And who, do, who do I mix them with? What do I focus on? And then have a plan B for plan A doesn't work or is out for some reason. Yeah. Uh, staying in the Western Conference, <laughs> you, you wrote something interesting. You're like, who is going to be king of the dipshits? Is it, uh, is it possibly I, the, the LA Clippers? So are we including the Nuggets in the dipshits or are they yeah. out? Of, okay. I mean, so, based on what I've just saw. So, so really, um, I mean, I'm be, being a little facetious. The, the point is, every team in the West seems much more flawed. That's not to say they can't win because, of, as you said earlier, 10, 20 minutes ago, ankle turns and all mm-hmm. of that. Right? Guys run out of gas. We saw that with Boston last year, up 2-1 mm-hmm. with game four at home. Um, but the West is so significantly flawed compared to the East. Um, and so because of that, Parity is reigning in the West, and we can have a team that has been pretty average all year mm-hmm. get hot late. We saw the Hawks get hot to get to the finals, and that was just a, a mm-hmm. fraud, really. They're, they've not been the same since. No. I think in, uh, I think they should have been. They just failed. They had the talent for it. I think the Clippers have Kawhi mm-hmm. and a coach that knows what he's doing in the postseason in, in Ty Lue. And I think they would lose – in five or six to all three of the best teams in the East. I don't feel that way right now, but what I'm seeing in the West. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, we, we know Memphis is struggling. Sac- Sacramento's a two seed. And while we love what they're doing, they don't really guard. Right. So they're going to score a ton of points and be a pain in the ass. But when it's time for them to get the critical stops they need, I don't think we're a believer that they're able to do that. Well, at a consistent we, pace we should address that. You're right. Sacramento isn't struggling like the other teams mm-hmm. are. But, yeah, our fear is you're going to make it tougher on their offense. Mm-hmm. Can they really make it tougher on your offense? Mm-hmm. We, we, we're not confident. And it's because, it's because of that brandy issue. We're, we're victims of that, too. For sure. But they're not playing defense this year. No. Where, where are they ranked in defense? Have you looked 25th at 25th or 26th? Yeah. This isn't, this isn't – we're not making stuff up. This isn't going back to five years. 26th. Yep. Yeah, they're just – they're not a good defensive team. And, we, and that is something we respect. Mm-hmm. Defense playing in the postseason. So if they're, if they're the best team 
in terms of the team that's not hit a, a, a any pitfall, any any pothole. Yeah, you want to project them as maybe the Western favorites, except mm-hmm. we we have this defensive problem. Yeah, no, for sure. It, it will again, guys. These fifteen games or so, this is fascinating stuff to see how this all shakes out. I mean, we could get in round one, Phoenix, LA Clippers. We can get Phoenix, Golden State in round one. I mean, it's Phoenix, Phoenix, Dallas. I mean, it. it it could really go a number of different places. You can have Denver and the Lakers possibly in the 1-8 matchup, and you know, everybody's like, oh, my God, you want to see healthy LeBron and AD? And it's like, eh, they'll find a way to screw up somehow. Not for LeBron and AD per se, but the Lakers as a whole will find a way uh, not to win those games. But it'll, because of that parity you mentioned, this is what we're talking about, right? Any one of those bottom teams, top seeds have a, you know, a bad two days. Now you're down 0-2. Yeah, you know? we've been talking about this since before the season started, that we could have a playoff like this. I don't think any of the big three in the East will lose in the first round. I don't think so either. But one of them is going to lose in the second round. Well, they have to, right? One of them has to lose in the second right. round. Right. So um, that's going to be really amazing. Oh, for sure. Um, so in the NBA right now, David, there's a lot of different things going on. Um, I don't know if you saw this last week. Um, Chael Sonnen, who's an MMA insider, analyst, whatever. He was on a podcast and basically said, Oh no, I I I know LeBron's dope guy, right? I, I I know what LeBron's doing, and he basically accused LeBron of taking uh, EPO, which is essentially blood doping, right? It, it for to make it simple for those of you who don't understand what it is, it is to allow more oxygen to um to travel to your muscles, right? And for those of you that don't know, that's how you're able to perform and sustain energy for a longer period of time. The reason you fatigue at the end of workouts and races and anything you do athletically is because your body's not getting enough oxygen to the muscles, right? And that's when that lactic acidosis process, process happens and you get super sore and very fatigued. Well, if you got a bunch of EPO in there, you're doing really well, right? You're avoiding all that. It's nothing but oxygen coming in. And that is, some of you may know what Lance Armstrong was doing during the Tour de France days, Floyd Landis, some of those other, those other types of people. I thought, look, the NBA as a league, they are not on the cutting edge as far as blood doping. To, that, that's not where they are. And the the World Anti-Doping Agency said that about the league years ago. They're like they're, There's gaps in their testing, right? When it comes to this blood doping stuff, not great. Yeah, they can find diuretics and typical anabolic steroids and all that easy stuff. But this synthetic stuff, not where it's at. And again, I'm not saying Chael Sonnen is right. He's a faulty narrator in this, in this scenario. But I think when it comes to these types of things, it is something, a question worth asking. How does, the NBA, how does the NBA test for that? Do they? Like, what is their stance on that officially, right? Like, I think it's important to ask these kinds and ascertain these kinds of questions. Now, as someone who loves sports, I am not a moralist when it comes to this. It, athletes trade on their body. This is their primary earning stream, right? That's how they make their living. Well, why wouldn't they do whatever was necessary to make sure it was in peak shape all the time? That's silly to me. So, of course, right? Anyway, it's it's an interesting question that I think, you know, I know Henry's written about it in the past, but it's something that we should be asking questions about. It really goes to Henry's article on Friday, which was, you know, the best thing we published in quite a while. Mostly because I've been publishing stuff he's working on his book. <laughs> I can't write. Like, I just can't write like Henry can. And um, it was it was amazing. Yeah. What he his vision of the problem with the NBA uh, uh, having uh, the problem with us trusting the NBA is looking into these officials um, when they're being accused of things. Mm-hmm. 
when the guy in charge uh, was the one who said, oh, there's no racism involved in the NBA. <laughs> right, right, whatever, right. Whatever things he has said. That was Henry's point. They don't want rules like billionaires. Mm-hmm. Why, why would, listen, I say this all the time now, and you, you love this because of your governmental leanings. <laughs> um, the, the billionaires typically support the party that wants to shrink government. Which, because by the way, is actually both parties. When you really look at it, both parties do it. They deregulate and give because billionaires are smart, David, not to cut you off. They give to both sides because they know we want what's best for us. Democrats and Republicans do the same thing. The difference is in their messaging, right? Democrats will be very pro-gay, pro-all the culture war stuff. But when it comes to doing the things necessary to stop billionaires from doing evil, neither side touch, touches them whatsoever. Oh, yeah, you guys do whatever you want. We're fine. No worries. Well, yeah, they, so you're right. Um, they, uh, and they also attack the media, the two ways you check power, mm-hmm. regulations and media. And so um, why, why would people, why would a king want anyone to check their power, right? No king's ever wanted that in the history of the world. Right, when Henry <laughs> wrote about this, and Hamlet's when those guys wanted something different. So this is what we have with the NBA right now. And so the, what the point you're making is how can we trust that they're looking into anything that might force them to establish rules and guidelines and regulations when they don't want to do that. Just when they, the part about this, it's so funny, David, in that Henry's article, when there's an investigation that has to happen and the league hires the people to do, it's like, well, this is, this is not an independent organization coming into review. It is a white shoe law firm who, by the way, the NBA has its tentacles into already. To, to conduct this investigation, and I'm doing quotes for those of you that can't, that can't see me right now. So yeah, I'm, I have no doubt that the investigation comes back with information, but the NBA is very careful about, well, this is what we're going to let out that came back in that, right? And it's just sort of like, again, how do we trust that you are doing the right thing? So when Scotty Barnes and Fred Van Vliet get angry about Scott, not Scott Foster, whomever official is like, yeah. why are we... No, this is why are we trusting the NBA is doing the right thing? Like, we don't know. Like, I think Scotty and 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 Van Vliet may have a point. It's like, hey, man, I, I don't know if you guys are doing what's right over here. How, how do I know that? Feels like you're cheating me. Yeah, if you haven't read Henry, Henry's article and you're listening to this, uh, wait till our show's done and then go read his article. Because uh, he, he makes one amazing point, makes many amazing points, but here's one of them. Uh, Rashid Wallace, one of the guys Rashid Wallace was railing at was Tim Donaghy. Mm-hmm. So now we know who was right and who was wrong. We turns know that. Out, it turns out Tim Donaghy was a bad dude doing bad things. Right. <laughs> right. So Henry's point of the article is the NBA claims they're looking into these kinds of things, but what are they really doing? We don't know. That's a fair question. So it no. goes to the same thing with Peds too. Yeah, yeah no, it, it's, it's, it's something that, you know, again, this is, we want this league to be as good as it can be, and we yeah. want it to grow, and we want people to love it as much as we do. But these are questions that, that we ask, right, and that, 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 we're, that we're trying to ascertain. I know that in the new current CBA that's being negotiated right now, one of the things that they're discussing is making a minimum games played requirements for players to be eligible for postseason awards. Uh, Sham Sharani had just put that out. And that's something that, like, okay, I, I think you and I both agree with that, right? Like, yep. Well, it depends. Right. You, you can't win MVP if you only played 40 games, right? It's like, well. And you better make sure it's not 75. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. And but so in theory, I like the idea. Yeah. It, and again, you know, Adam has said this before. He, like, I'm going to trust the science. Do we, we look at shorting the season? I'm like, well, what science are you trusting? Again, 
to the point of what are you looking at? Can you share with us what science you're looking at? Because we know some science people that you should probably be talking to, and I'm pretty sure you're not, right, about what about what that should be um, as it relates to, you know, potentially shortening the season and, again, making this uh, a better product. The last thing I'll say is, is that, you know, and I know you often watch games with the sound off because you don't want to yeah. hear what the commentators are saying. Yeah. yeah. It is a problem when the league's broadcast partners and its big ones, ABC, ESPN, TNT, go on TV and bash the game, right? And bash players. And I get it. TNT, it's the stick, right? It's what Chuck and all them do. Ha ha ha. It's so funny who he played for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All hilarious. But ultimately, because this is about courting the casual fan. First of all, David does this for a living, so he's not a fan. I do it for a I'm not a fan. But before that, we were fans. And we still are fans in that I way. Huge, I was a huge fan. Yeah. So diehards like us are not who the NBA cares about because they already got us in the bag. They're like, it's casuals. How do you attract casual sports fans to come to your league by having the league's biggest broadcast partners continuing to bash it and tell you, oh, these two teams, these teams don't matter. Only these four matter. Only this player matters. Now who he played for. Like that doesn't help. None of that helps grow the game. And it's funny for some people, but ultimately it's not a good thing. And this ties into the NBA debate with Perk and all that. None of this is good for the overall growth of the league. Well, are we, we going to uh, get into what I had said to Henry about maybe he should write an article about all the negatives going on? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so just basically what you're saying, this, this, this debate over whether or not the men and women covering the game are racist in some way, to, that was Perk's real implication. That's one debate. The LeBron issue mm-hmm. right now, John Morant and his guns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And load management, mm-hmm. and these players are lazy, and uh, because they're not playing all these games, all of this is happening. And there's many other stories too. Uh, the the Abu Dhabi story, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. All these negative things are going on, and crickets. Referee scandal, mm-hmm. not scandal, but problems with, with Fred VanVleet. No one's ever been as outright. Woo, he was boldly <laughs> saying like two of every two, up to two of every three unit. They're up to some fuckery. Not it's a paraphrase. Um, where's Adam Silver right now? Where where are the voices of the league? Uh, as I as I said to Henry, where's the lighthouse in the fog? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I'm right here. Here's our issues. Mm-hmm. Here's how we're tackling them. Here's the transparency of that tackle, so to mm-hmm. speak. As a dad, it's something. That I always made sure when when I felt like my kids were, or even my wife, were just kind of coming away. Oh, no, no, I'm right here. We're going to figure this out together. I'm the loudest guy in the room at that point. That's just, it's easy. It's way harder to be Adam Silver than it is David Thorpe. That's for sure. This is, this is, right now, this is tough. We need loud, vocal uh, men and women, women and men with integrity leading on all of these fronts so that we can make sure we don't run aground in the fog mm-hmm. and instead we get to clear sailing in the sun. Yeah, no, it, 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 that's well said, right? We don't want it to be a point where one of these things bubbles into like Some an real, over, serious. real serious issue and now you're playing damage control, right? It's, this, is, this is the history of not just the league, but any the la- right, right. The country, any large organization, these, these type of things happen. Um, David, on the floor, as we head down these last 15 games to show the season, this time of year, minute totals and injury concerns are always something that we're looking at. Um, you know, and sorry, Nick fans, I hate to to bring your, your guy into this, but man, Tibbs and those Knicks players, they, those minutes totals for those 
seven, eight guys, so high. We talked about it in that double overtime game last week where one of them quickly had 54 minutes of of game action. I mean, that's a lot of time. And Jalen Brunson right now, he's been in and out of the lineup dealing with an issue. Well, you know how that's not going to get better? By playing multiple minutes. That I know for sure, right? But Tibbs is like, we got to play Jalen. How are we going to win if Jalen doesn't play? Um, So this this is your challenge. So they may come in, lock into that top six playoff seed, but then come game one of the playoffs, they got nothing, right? Because they worked so hard and they were ground into the ground with so many minutes in over the 82 that now the 16, they just don't have anything left. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna watch these games in the playoffs or even down the down the stretch run. And we're gonna look for teams that show fatigue beyond one game at a time. Mm-hmm. You know, there's gonna be teams that have a bad game that traveled late the night before, whatever. But when it runs into the next game, you start thinking, okay, they're they're running out of gas. Mm-hmm. And I, I've always believed the the analogy, uh, the metaphor I've always used is, and I've done this with players before, take a ball of water. And every game you play, pour a little bit out. Uh, and every road trip, the, you know, the flights, whatever, pour a little bit out. Every time you get emotional during a game, pour a little bit out. And I tell them, in any one game, all those efforts, taking a charge, racing the court, yelling at the referee, eventually that bottle of water is dry. And when you hit that, you're, and you're, if there's so minutes left, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now you can replenish it when you come out, mm-hmm. but if your coach didn't take on you out, you can't replenish it much. This season, it's more like a gigantic, you know, many hundreds of gallons mm-hmm. jug. But once it runs dry, we've seen it with Harden. We saw it with Tatum last year. You're done. Yeah. There's no, you need months to recover or a month to recover, whatever. And so we have to start watching now for not just the game fatigue, mm-hmm. but the season fatigue that'll show up when it's beyond one game where they just don't have the same energy. Unless they're sick, it's it's fair to guess that they've lost their legs. And you're looking at Harden, Tatum, uh, Irving, and Luca had an MRI on his thigh. Like these guys are in the high minute total, top five in the league in minutes played. And it's like, oh, these guys are young. They can play tons of minutes. Okay. Well, not in the Harden case. He ain't young, right? So we know. So if you're a doc, you got to be looking at that because he's played extremely well this year. Should have been an all-star. You need him playing at that level in April, May, and June. Well, you better manage that now so he's ready come come, come that period. And, you know, Irving's got an injury history. Luca's got banged up. Tatum got tired last year. Yes, he's 25 or how, 26, however old he is, but he'll run out of energy at some point too. If you can figure out a way to get those those rest points in, you know that's what you need to be looking at right now because these playoffs are gonna they're gonna come and then look out. Um, the last thing, David, uh, the John Morant situation. I don't know when he'll be back. There's been some talk that maybe he could be back as soon as Friday. Who knows? Um, you know, we, we talked about it at nauseum. I, Kurt Streeter from the New York Times wrote a piece about this, and it was about the impact that Ja has um, on communities of color, black and brown communities, um, in particularly in the Memphis area, which, you know, for those of you who don't know, Memphis has a very high crime rate, um, a lot of gun violence, various, various things. Um, and in Kurt's piece, you know, he really talked about how, you know, this incident by Ja makes it harder for the people within the communities who are telling, you know, these young kids, this isn't the way to go when they see, but this is, he's made it to the NBA. He's, he's still got hood in him. Look, he's, he's going to be the face of the NBA. He's still got guns, right? So it doesn't, right. And as a coach and dad, you know, that's the worst 
thing for you to have. You're like, great, I'm telling you not to do this thing. Here is the actual rebuttal to what I'm telling you not to do in front of you right now that you're, that you're able to see. And so while we first and foremost want for Jaws as a human, forget about basketball, to get himself right and together as a human being again for him for him forget about basketball and all that right. other stuff he's like he's a young daughter like he's got i want you to be good for that forget about all his other stuff but as also because of who you are the other things matter right so this point about what you can be and what you can mean to a community is so critical and i hope once he gets to the point where he's good for himself he realizes no i can really impact generations of kids with stuff that i do on the floor and by setting the right example yeah, you know, everyone gets motivated in a different way. Um, some people are motivated for these very selfish reasons, but that doesn't mean they're not motivated. Whatever works, like that, that's what they have to find. What, what, what is the reason why you, Ja you makes better decisions? Whatever that reason is, let's focus on that. Um, and we all are motivated for different reasons in different ways, and. Uh, uh, but this is one of the negatives of what's happening right now. And so maybe that's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Maybe the way to get to him is like, like, like John, some 14 year olds can either get killed by a gun mm-hmm. or kill someone with a gun. And it's not your fault, but this young player may have been influenced mm-hmm. in a negative way because mm-hmm. of your decisions. Maybe that'll get him to maybe, not do it. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. We're all, we're all, uh, we're different that way. Our minds are work different ways, but you can find that when you can't find any kernel, like any foundation, that's a psychopath. Right. You know? That's when you're he, in trouble. I don't think he's a psychopath. No, he's not that. He's definitely yeah. not that. Not at all. Yeah. People love him. Um, his teammates love him. Yeah. Yeah. They love him. Yeah. Uh, you got to just find that. My friends that we mentioned, Steve Shevam, he calls mm-hmm. them coins, the really important things in your life. Um, and you got to get to that. So that's what a therapist would do. That's what a mentor would do. Mm-hmm. Uh, any uh, uh, person guiding him towards mm-hmm. the light, in a sense, of just of making better decisions is when in doubt, what can get you motivated mm-hmm. the most? What can really, what do you feel in your guts? Yeah. And let's hope they figure it out. Absolutely. Yeah. So we'll, we'll be watching that closely. All right, guys. Uh, thanks as always for joining us. We'll be back later in the week. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be some kind of exciting NBA thing happening between, between now and then. Uh, until next time, we'll see you guys later. Take care.